Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Oh. Yo. Oh. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party, unrestricted, got the house now, we gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down, got that big space pump and make them bounce now, flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Hey everybody, welcome to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. I'm Aubrey Edwards, referee and podcast host, and I'm also here with my wonderful co-host, who's lovely and beautiful and just absolutely amazing, co-host podcast and commentary legendary person tony shivani how are you tony i'm great aubrey that's a that's a hell of a build-up and i appreciate it but uh i i bow in your general direction because you are the best you deserve it how can i not intro you that way speaking of people that are amazing that need to be introed spectacularly we got a little little bit something different today for everyone who's listening in we've got aew in the the latest edition of pwi we just killed it in the awards because we're awesome. You know, not like I'm slightly biased or anything. So today we're talking about it with senior writer El Castle and editor Kevin McElvaney. How are you guys? We're good. Thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, it's good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So the PWI 2021 awards issue is now available online now digitally, pwi-online.com. And the print edition will be in stores next Tuesday, January 25th. Before we get into the categories and winners, tell us exactly how this voting works. It's open to any and all readers of our magazine, digital or print. The ballot is included typically a couple of issues before the one that just came out. Uh, this year it was included in our January Women's 150 issue. I mean, it's pretty much we go from there. We accept the ballots digitally or a lot of people still like that ritual of mailing in their print ballots, filling them out, tucking them in the envelope and sending them our way. We count them all up and uh, we determine the winners that way. It's been the same way for as long as we've been doing it, to the best of my knowledge. So it's very exciting every year and uh, process counting up all those votes, but <laughs> it's worth it. Uh, you say as long as you've been doing it now, uh, mm-hmm. Pro Wrestling Illustrated is part of uh, magazines that have been around forever. Yep. And I say forever because I read The Wrestler. I read Inside Wrestling, and Pro Wrestling Illustrated is a part of that, right? Those two magazines are no longer around. It's just PWI, right? PWI is the last one standing. Right. When I first started contributing with the family of magazines, there was a combo version of The Wrestler and Inside Wrestling. That was the first place I was published anywhere. It was right right out of college, and uh, that was about 15 years ago. been freelancing with the magazine. Well, I was freelancing with the magazine for about 13 or 14 years, and then 
In March 2020, Stu Sachs, longtime publisher, editor-in-chief, stepped down. I was tapped to replace him. Great honor. And here we are. I'm more curious because I work with a lot of dudes, and dudes typically have really bad handwriting. (laughs) So you have people write these out, print them out, send them in, whatever. I'm curious what the percentage of awards that don't get counted just because they're completely ineligible. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many because they were illegible. Some of them are a little hard to make out. Some are, are misspellings. Bob hanging chads. Right, right. right. That's a timely reference. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our younger viewers are like, what are you talking about? I don't know a guy named Chad. Yeah, maybe I should change it to a Dominion voting machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, some honestly, the, the biggest reason for something to get thrown out is because people can't choose and they write more than one name. And we're very explicit in the instructions about if you do that, it doesn't count. So there were a certain amount of votes in each category where someone could not make a choice. And yeah, you wrote two names down. We, could, we couldn't count either because we don't. That's one rule. But I, I don't think, and uh, maybe I'll have to check in with Stu and see. I'm sure a few over the years, he just could not piece them together and they, they were thrown out. Uh, Kevin, you're uh, from the desk of a uh, column that was dedicated to MJF, who won the most hated wrestler <laughs> of the year in a landslide. Gross. Received more votes for hated wrestler, any other winner, any other category. Why did you decide to vote your monthly column to MJF? Why would you do that to yourself is the actual yeah. question. <laughs> well, the thing with MJF, I think we all can acknowledge he has incredible potential, solid technical wrestler, tons of personality, but just such a jerk. I think more importantly, there's for his success, he has this habit of, I'm not going to wrestle today. I'm going to go. I'm just going to take it easy this week. Or or someone challenges me, I'll, I'll face them when I'm good and ready. And that helps him keep a really pristine win-loss record. But it's not going to help him really leave a lasting legacy until he gets out there and really proves himself. And I know that he can do it. I don't know that he knows that he can do it. He'll say completely different, I'm sure. But I, I get in that a little more in the column. I want him to wrestle more because I'd like to see him break his neck, to be honest with you. <laughs> Jesus. I just want to see him get his ass beat. Yes, yes. He is. You talked about potential. His potential is being in jail, being involved in a scandal, <laughs> potential being hit in the mouth each and every day. Okay. Those are his potential. You're going to put me in the position of having to defend my fellow Long Islander. <laughs> you guys were here in, in Long Island a few weeks ago, and I think it's uh, the only place probably in the country yeah. <laughs> where MJF could get the, the reaction that he did. He got a hero's welcome here on Long Island a few weeks ago. Yeah, Plainview High School. Who would have thought we got a Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart scenario <laughs> yeah. suddenly visiting the other guy's place? <laughs> that's right. Baby face and heel has been swapped. Like, right. what kind of world do we live in? Where that, <laughs> that's ugh. Yes. I just felt so bad for all those Long Islanders. I'm real sorry. It's like... You guys really hate yourself. Uh, all jokes aside, there were still plenty of people booing MJF even here on Long Island. Right. So it, it really speaks to how hated the guy is. And that's the uh, what we'll get into it. But that's the one category or one of the categories that I was surprised to see AEW win by such a wide margin, because in part, I thought Roman Reigns was doing really great work this year as a heel. But, uh, you know, frankly, it wasn't even close. You know, all kidding aside. He's really invested in MJF. He really is. And I, I got to give him credit for that. And I, and I joke when I say I want him to break his neck. Of course, I don't want him to break his neck. Going to a hospital with a blown out knee so I can go piss on his bed would be great. <laughs> but other than that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'll go with you and I'll tape it. That'll be awesome. That's some good vlog content. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I want to I wanna start diving into the awards because there's, there's a couple of these that are really great and absolutely need to, to highlight. I think the first one listed is, of course, Rookie of the Year. 
newest uh, and first ever TBS champion, Jade Cargill. She made a huge statement when she debuted a year ago, came out, called out Cody Rhodes, had a first match with Shaq, and then since then has just continued to grow and become the wrestler that she is today. And I think all of us can kind of see where she's going with the amount of work that she's putting in. She's going to be absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's remarkable, actually, these days. Our Rookie of the Year category encompasses anyone who's been wrestling less than two years, ostensibly. Like, if someone has debuted January 1st, the prior year, or later. But Jade didn't need that whole second year. She just did so well out of the gate. This was, of course, even before she became TBS champion. This was, the voting was due in just at the beginning of December. So, I mean, the tournament was underway but had not concluded yet. It was a close race. We had uh, Braun Raker from NXT was neck and neck with her, but I think Jade having made such a strong impression on everybody, that extended to our readers and a solid win for her in that category. Uh, the most dedicated or the most decorated, I guess, of all the uh, awards was Britt Baker, who won three of them. Mm-hmm. By the way, Aubrey, I saw that you refereed one of her matches on Rampage. Yeah, I got, uh, got I drew the short straw on that one. Yeah, stay out of her way, okay? So there are three different awards that she was either won or were part of. And Why don't you guys tell us what those were? Sure. First off, won the Match of the Year award uh, for that unsanctioned Lights Out match with Thunder Rosa back in St. Patrick's Day. And apart from that, the most improved award. Right. Because she just, you know, really took it to another level this year. And then the third award she won was actually an award that we did not have last year. And that's our classic Woman of the Year Award. Um, The reason we didn't have it last year was the idea was that men and women were both getting category uh, votes in every category anyway. Like, is this a little bit antiquated? But when we got rid of it, there was an outcry. I mean, it's something that has been with the magazine for so long and people did not want to see it go. They felt it was one more chance for women to do well. And I mean, Britt, having taken that category, won three awards in total, and that makes her easily the top recipient this year winning those three. I mean, she didn't need her ego inflated more than it already no. is. So <laughs> I liked you guys before this podcast, but now I'm like, I don't know. Can we kind of cut this off early? I'm not really a big fan of DMD, if you can tell. As a as a referee, I do need to say, speaking on behalf of the Britt Baker Canvas referee, you need to be impartial. You know what? I'm not in the ring, so fuck you, Tony. <laughs> I'm off the clock. Off the clock. Okay, you got it. <laughs> Well, one thing that I think is interesting is that that I know that the, the narrative certainly in um, the first year or two that AEW was around was that this was the place that needed work was the women's division. And here you see you guys pick up four awards all from your women. Uh, so I think it speaks to how far a uh, women's division uh, did come in 2021. Absolutely. I think it's just definitely like looking at this awards list and seeing how well represented the AEW women are, I think it's just indicative, like kind of, as you said, like how much work this women's division has put in, because like, we're, we're not idiots. We hear all of the criticism and the critique and whatnot. And the women are, I know for a fact, cause I'm in the same locker room as them are actively working to change that perspective. And I think seeing someone like Britt Baker, as much as I don't like her, like I can recognize when someone's doing really good work, she's cleaning house in this. That's a very good indication that we have people who are putting in the work. And I'm very, very happy with my coworkers and very proud of them. Speaking of proud, we've got comeback of the year that was won by CM Punk. But I think crazier is that the second and third place, respectively, was Sting 
and Christian Cage, which themselves are huge names, legendary, going to go down in history as some of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and they lose <laughs> because that's how crazy this year of wrestling was. What can you guys kind of say in that? If there was a comeback of the decade, and not not to be too uh, hyperbolic here, I think Punk would be in the running for it. I mean, I think that that moment was that special. I mean, it was. I've been watching wrestling for for forty years, and it's on the short list of uh, you know those those memorable wrestling moments. I, I think the other thing it tells you is uh, one of the differences with AEW and, and everyone else uh, is that they are attracting back those former stars for whatever reason. You have wrestlers who are not done with the business who are maybe closer to the end of their career than uh, the beginning of their career, but still have a whole lot to offer. AEW has recognized that in them and seen in a guy like Christian Cage or in Sting that there's still a lot of gas in the tank. I, I think there are a handful of, of other people that would have been contenders also in AEW. You know, if there was a, a fourth runner up and a fifth runner up, AEW might have cleaned up even more. But I think it speaks to sort of the dynamics of what's happening in, in AEW now that you've got a lot of people who want to go work there, including people who have had long, successful careers and see this as a destination. We're talking to Al and Kevin of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and we'll have more coming up on AEW Unrestricted. You're listening to AEW Unrestricted, official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. We've got Kevin and Al here from PWI Illustrated. We're just going through all these awards that AEW is just absolutely well represented on. Really proud of all my coworkers. Unfortunately, MJF, uh, we have to talk about him again. <laughs> Man, we need to like ban him from the awards next year that i'm gonna i'm gonna petition for that but obviously most hated wrestler of the year kevin you had a whole column dedicated to him but i think kind of the more interesting one in this is at least for me is kenny omega came in third in the voting for this category and seeing where he placed later in the awards i find that absolutely fascinating what do you see as sort of the the fan reasoning for that the thing with most hated is if you go back decades, because these awards actually predate PWI, um, as Tony mentioned, there were other publications, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, where those awards would be printed before PWI even existed. That began in 1979. But if you look going back, the most hated award was usually for that classic villain. And that still is largely the case. But occasionally you have something like, the fans are just sick of seeing this guy. It's that kind of thing. Right. And <laughs> Kenny Omega, as obnoxious and and let me be absolutely clear about this. He was very, very obnoxious throughout 2021 in the ring. Just so much fun to watch puts on these classic matches. So I think even though his character, what he was putting forward in his promos, some of the questionable shortcuts he took in the ring could easily get him that most hated nod. He was doing so much that was enjoyable getting in there putting on these classics. And I think that's why he was only, you know, third runner up in this category. We got a chance to see uh, Nick Gage a little bit in AEW and, and obviously his story is legendary. And the fact that he won indie wrestler of the year, I, I, I had a chance first time ever to meet Nick, you know, here's this crazy guy. How's this meeting going to go? And he actually was one of the most respectful nicest guys ever. So congratulations on him winning that award because I think he has been under the radar on a national level for a long, long time. I hope we help promote him, and I'm glad to see him win an award. Yeah, Nick Gage is really uh, an interesting story because there have been so many bumps in the road there. He's certainly not 
a conventional PWI award winner. I think there are probably going to be some longtime readers who are a little bit upset by that. But I mean, they had a chance to vote just like anybody else. Right. He was, you know, I mean, appeared on AEW, appeared on Dark Side of the Ring. I believe it was later in 2020, but we had profiled him in the magazine previously. And what really resonates is he's this genuine person and he's rough around the edges. But, you know, what you see is what you get. And he gets out there and he just goes for it. And he's really an inspirational kind of comeback story. When you think about it, he's, it's a tale of redemption. And I think a lot of people like that. And yes, certainly the AEW uh, visibility helped. And and for that matter, the award was introduced the previous year. And the winner that year was Warhorse, who uh, was independent wrestling world champion, but also faced Cody Rhodes on Dynamite. So that definitely helps. Sure. I, I think the, um, the, the documentary, the dark side of the documentary uh, really helped uh, long Nick for, for people who knew Nick Gage. It was nothing new, but I think that's what really put him in kind of the national spotlight. And it's interesting because like so much of the dark side of the ring documentaries, it's supposed to be telling this kind of tragic tale. And there was certainly a lot of tragedy with Nick Gage. But as Kevin touched on, I think at the end of it, he came out as this kind of relatable, redemptive figure that a lot of people uh, were, were pulling for. And it also tells the story of, of Game Changer Wrestling in uh, 2021 that really connected with fans. I think there are a lot of um, fans of the old hardcore ECW wrestling style that that thought that was dead and buried. And for better or for worse, then everybody's a fan of it. But but Game Changer Wrestling's uh, brought it back. And Nick Gage really is the uh, kind of the face of it. I love that. AEW is just giving a nice platform for these indie wrestlers that are making a name for themselves, like Daniel Garcia and Lee Moriarty, for instance, get talked about a lot when we're talking about people on the independent circuit that are sort of making a name for themselves, making a splash, and having the opportunity to put those guys on TV and show everyone what they got. It's it's great, especially like uh, since I was the one that refed Nick Gage's match on TV, I really loved the fact that we had the opportunity to show off Nick Gage and like we didn't hold back at all. Like Chris wanted to make sure that like people saw who Nick Gage was. So pizza cutters, panes of glass, light tubes, like all these things that I was absolutely terrified of. Chris is like, no, let's go. Let's fucking do it. Like this is <laughs> absolutely great. Segue into that because Nick Gage was on AEW television. The whole reason was because we had this feud between Jericho and MJF, which I think is actually the longest feud Chris Jericho has ever had in his career. It spanned, you know, just a few days over a year. I'm curious why something like this ended up winning over something like Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa, who came in third, when that match was highlighted as one of the best of the year. Like, what do you think was the thing that spoke to the fans in this feud? I think that feuds... You know, there's there's different ways of defining feuds. And over the years, we've had uh, feuds that have won feud of the year based on the quality of a series of matches. And then you have and this is really the way I look at feuds, which is something that is not necessarily about how good the matches were, but what you feel between the competitors, that genuine hate. And I think that's what you felt with MJF and Chris Jericho that uh, really surpassed everything else. And remember, at the beginning of the year, Chris Jericho might have been in the running for most hated wrestler of the year. It speaks to how despicable MJF is that he helped uh, get the fans <laughs> on Chris Jericho's side and make this um, a feud of the year where, where you were really pushing for Chris Jericho to put MJF in his place. We're talking about the awards and PWI, but also uh, I want to talk about the Stanley Weston Award because Stanley was a longtime publisher of this magazine, the earlier versions, and also did a lot in boxing as well. Talk about Stanley. Did you guys ever get to meet him? I did not. 
No, me neither. No, I mean, I've certainly heard a lot of stories from Stu Sachs about Stanley, and he sounded like everything you'd want in a boss. Right. And came a lot from uh, the, the boxing part of the business, but was so supportive and understood the appeal of wrestling. And I forget what the saying is. I hear Stu Sachs talk about it all the time, but I think the PWI headquarters once upon a time were like, a, he's going to kill me for, for butchering this, were like three stories uh, tall. And uh, Stanley Weston would talk about how wrestling paid for two of those stories. So even though in, in a lot of ways, the boxing was seen as kind of the prestigious part of uh, the magazine business, um, it was uh, wrestling that was was really selling the magazines. And Stanley Weston uh, knew that, supported it. And it's why we're around all these years later. Yeah, the the boxing uh, magazine was called The Ring, right? Mm-hmm. Is it still part of you guys? No, that's uh, The Ring um, and KO and affiliated magazines are not currently under the umbrella, but for many years were. And I think a cool thing about that is that Stanley Weston and then everyone who had working under him understood the sports side of wrestling. You know, even over the years, as people started to know more about the behind the scenes, you know, we're certainly not the same type of magazine that we were 10, 15 years ago. Right. But we still talk about things in sport terms because these are, in many ways, it is still a competition. Even if people are not going out there and trying to beat one another, like if they, they know who's going to win. But when they go out there, they treat it the same way. They're trying to get that recognition. And we refer to them as competitors and we refer to wrestling as a sport. And I think it's important not to lose that because otherwise it's just like any other form of entertainment. And I think what wrestling what makes wrestling so special is that sport component. I mean, that's the way your magazine was when I was younger and growing up, Mm -hmm. you would read the wrestler inside wrestling, but you never really got the, the inside information in wrestling. It was presented as a sport and it stayed that way for a long, long, long time. Back then it was called the bill after magazines. Mm -hmm. And then I got to know bill after. And then I thought, a magazine named after him, Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to know Bill very, very well. We all did, obviously. But so, so uh, again, uh, back to the Stanley Weston Awards. Uh, you had two of them this this year, right? Yes. For a long time, it was just one award because it was our editor's award. Sure. But we have opened it up a little bit and there are just so many people that ought to be recognized. And this is the one category where the editors and senior writers choose the winners as opposed to readers. And they were Ron Simmons and Terry Funk. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Gosh, two unquestionable legends. Yeah. Ron Simmons, of course, first recognized, widely recognized Black World Champion, having won the WCW title in 1992, but went on, apart from being the face of the company at that point, went on to have a fantastic career, of course, in the WWF as well as Farouk. And then again, toward the end of his career at the APA with Bradshaw, some really memorable moments there just widely respected this really legit, again, athlete, football player turned wrestler, totally got it. Cool thing, if the the write-up that comes with that in that section, Harry Burkett, one of our senior writers, talked to Ron Simmons, and he said, you know, pretty much not a day goes by that he doesn't have someone come up to him and people of all races and tell him that, wow, this is a really memorable moment I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life. A huge inspiration. He said it's an honor for him to receive this award because he, it's good for him to still be remembered after all these years. Along those same lines, Terry Funk, there have been reports out there about his health and, and all sorts of things. And I, I don't want to go too far into that, but sure. unquestionably somebody who deserved this recognition. And, and Dory Funk Jr. received the award a few years back. 
I think, oh, was it uh, Brian, Brian Solomon, I think, brought up Terry Funk as someone that we really like ought to consider for this. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and as you mentioned, he's had uh, some health setbacks. I think it's unfortunate that too often these kind of lifetime achievement awards happen posthumously and uh, the person is is not there to get that praise and that recognition. So we absolutely want to do it while we're lucky enough to still have Terry Funk around. We're talking to Al and Kevin of the PWI talking about all of the amazing fan awards and the amazing people that have made an impact in this business. Want to touch on a little bit about the wrestler of the year and my my favorite thing as I was reading this, the unofficial awards coming up on AEW Unrestricted. This is AEW Unrestricted. We're talking to Alan Kevin of PWI, talking about all the amazing awards that AEW has won this year. Uh, we talked about Woman of the Year a little bit and how that award went away and it came back just because the women have grown so well at AEW. But we also have two other awards we didn't touch on, Tag Team of the Year and Wrestler of the Year, which went to the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, respectively, both of the Elite, who had an absolutely incredible year. The Young Bucks were fantastic tag team champions, had a wonderful match with the Lucha Bros, who I think came in number two. Uh, their cage match is going to be talked about for a long time. And Kenny Omega, who was also number one on the PWI Top 500 for 2021. Why do you guys think that the Elite just sort of cleaned up in these best wrestler categories? I, I'd mentioned that the Bucks also just won, um, came in uh, first in our second annual Tag Team 50 uh, ranking, which is kind of the tag team counterpart to the PWI 500. And what it shows you is that we got it right. You know, sometimes we get a lot of heat. For we pick uh, as editorial staff, PWI, the 500 and the tag team 50, the women's 150. We get a lot of heat for it. The year end awards always give us some cover because, well, you guys picked it, not us. This is this is the fans. And it shows that we were on the same page. Uh, we all know that, that there are still people out there who are not the biggest fans of, of the Bucks and um, their style of wrestling. I don't think you have to be, but to. Whether you like it or not, to not recognize uh, how influential they've been, how successful they've been, how they've really revolutionized not just tag team wrestling, but but you could really say wrestling in general and, and the style of modern wrestling. Uh, if you don't see that, you're just naive. As far as uh, 2021 goes, they were just incredibly successful. They held those titles for uh, a long, long time, uh, beat everybody who came in front of them, had historic uh, matches. And so, yeah, I think they were the, the clear winners for uh, Tag Team of the Year. As far as Kenny Omega, I mean, I could say almost every all the same stuff for, for Kenny, as you touched on, was our number one wrestler in the PWI 500, held three recognized world titles simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> May never be done uh, again. And, you know, not overnight, not for a week, but for several months, all of them, and defended all of them uh, in the calendar year. There have been great wrestlers uh in promotions all over the world in 2021, uh, none of them can say that. And I think that's what what he's got that it's tough to compete with. You know, uh, show me a resume that's better than that in 2021. We're talking about the PWI awards and uh, we have a lot of awards, the unofficial categories, which are always very entertaining. And I know you get more than what you just list on the magazine. Who decides what goes into that or what what gets published, I guess I should say. I mean, that ultimately falls to me. So to an extent, a lot of these are kind of silly, trying to get a laugh. And right. so it's kind of, if it pops me, basically, <laughs> but also <laughs> some of them are bordering on bad taste and, and they're, we don't want to push that line too far. So some of them don't get published for that reason. And then there are some that are just 
uh, awards that give shout outs to people on the independent circuit, maybe uh, international stars that didn't have as much visibility in the US this year. And it's nice to publish those just straightforward. Hey, let's give a shout out to like Shingo Takagi for his work in New Japan, that kind of thing. Sure. We actually got a little bit of criticism because when I was putting together the year end issue for 2020, it was tough to fit everything in there. I was trying to include more photos and more title changes from because uh, we have these title histories uh, from the various influential promotions that go in there. I wanted to have room for all that. I cut back the unofficial official awards because I always thought, oh, these are kind of hit and miss for me personally. And got a lot of heat for that. A lot of readers reached out. I mean, letters, emails, uh, no angry phone calls, thankfully, but uh, <laughs> on that subject anyway. And one of those people who actually took us to task for that was Chris Jericho. Uh, Al and I went on Talk is Jericho, and he said, right. you know, what's with this? Why is this only you know a couple pages? Like, I used to really like this. I'm like, okay, point taken. It's not about what I want. It's about what people want to read. But they're, they're always a lot of fun to read. And it's, you know, I think it's up, back up to four pages this year and uh, dozens of categories. And n- none of these, of course, sanctioned by PWI. So... It's just a fun little feature, and and we're we're trying to incorporate some of that old PWI stuff that's a little more you know humorous, and we we take everything seriously, and that's a good thing. But you can't do that all the time. You got to have a little fun with it. Sure, I, I think one of the awards uh, that caught my attention was Stooge of the Year, Brandy Cutler, yes. <laughs> which obviously, uh, I mean, we call him a Stooge uh, on the air, but in wrestling, in the, there are so many Stooges in wrestling. It's full of stooges. It's been full of stooges for a long time. It's really quite, uh, when you think about it backstage, quite a prestigious award. Yeah, it's an honor just to be nominated in that category here. But <laughs> Yes, it is. All right. I want to I wanna touch on a, a few of my favorites in this because there's, there's absolutely some hilarious ones that had me popping as I was, uh, I was reading these. The I'm not crying, I swear, which I like to call the I'm not crying, you're crying. Uh, the return of CM Punk, which I don't know if you guys cried for, but I did. It was absolutely incredible. The hot tub time machine match, Chris Jericho versus Hoopy Two Guerrero. I don't think anyone expected to see that one again. Bonnie Tyler's turnaround award the, by uh, Cody Rhodes. And then I think my last two favorite, the best new drinking game every time they say the S word on dynamite. And then the best 450 splash by Chris Statlander, which I want to clarify is the 451 splash right. by Chris Statlander because uh, she's not of this galaxy. So I just wanted to <laughs> make sure that for clarity reasons, that was that was corrected a little bit. Thank you for putting that out there. Yeah, yeah. Any uh, Any particular favorites from you guys? I remember as a kid reading these and cracking up like you guys. And it's funny, you go back. It speaks to, I think, our, our modern readers being a lot funnier than our old ones. I go back and I, I see those and I'm like, really? <laughs> some of them don't hold up as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, some of them are, are pretty timely jokes. I mean, just piggybacking on the Nick Gage of the Year award, <laughs> which went to Matt Cardona uh, because he showed up on the independent scene and was trying to fashion himself as, as a Nick Gage of sorts, but uh kind of failed spectacularly in that role for game changer wrestling. So that was, that was a good one. There's a lot of good contributions. Don't want to give them all away because you know, want people to go buy the magazine and read them. Sure. So bad. He could have turned Ole Anderson. Good. Yep. <laughs> MJF. I, I love that. I love a, I love an Ole Anderson reference, which brings me to this and Alan, Kevin, both uh, take turns on answering this. How did you get involved with the magazine and uh, how long have you been wrestling fans? Talk about your career and your journey to what you're doing right now. In my case, I came to journalism from a pretty uh, traditional 
approach. Uh, I went to uh, journalism school. My day job has been in kind of the traditional uh, journalism business for 25 uh, years almost now. I happen to have worked at the same place where Stu Sachs did when he was in uh, kind of traditional journalism. Cold called PWI uh, one day, this is now 15, 16 years ago, and just struck up conversation uh, with Stu, asked for a writing uh, sample. And before long, I, I was writing a story about uh, the Dudley Boys, which is one of the few things I have uh, hung up on, on my wall. You know, w- over the years, we've had wrestling fans who were not necessarily writers, journalists who had to be kind of brought up that way. And we've had more kind of traditional journalists, writers who are not necessarily uh, wrestling fans. I think the ones that have had the most success are the ones that have a little bit uh, of both. And uh, for me, I've been watching wrestling, you know, closer to 40 years, grew up with uh, names like Bill Lapter and Stu Sachs and Craig Peters, almost being every bit the star, the celebrity that the wrestlers were. You know, these were right. iconic names for me. And so to be able to have my own name uh, in the magazine, the same magazine that that they worked in for all those uh, years is one of the great privileges of my life. Pretty similar story for me, except for the Long Island connection. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably for the best. <laughs> So I also grew up reading the magazines. I have been a wrestling fan for, I'd say about 30 years. So that just gave away that Al's decently older than me. (laughs) (laughs) Also grew up reading the magazines. There's photos of me as a kid with like just face buried in an inside wrestling, you know, just devoured all of those. And what I always thought was really cool as a kid, you know, I was watching uh, WWF and WCW in the early nineties, very into them. Didn't have a lot of access to other things unless it was at, blockbuster video or there was a compilation tape down the road at Kmart. Sometimes I would get access to some classic territory wrestling from that. PWI was my window into that. The remainder of the territory system that was still around in those days, the classic stuff that they would republish, those magazines were a really big deal to me. So when I got out of college and met, as I mentioned earlier, that was my first writing gig. Absolutely huge for me. Stayed with the magazine for a lot of years, but I mean, on a freelance basis, contributing sometimes more than others. Worked in a lot of different fields. I was in civil service for a long time. I was a bit in marketing for many years. Wrote on a a PBS art show for a little while. So really just a lot of different fields of experience that I brought to this job, which I hope has helped. Uh, But when Stu was thinking about retiring and he came to me and he, you know, we had, of course, uh, maintained close contact over the years and built up a lot of trust with one another confided that in me because he was months away from telling most people that he was going to be retiring. Huge honor that I would even be considered. Came in, met with him, uh, met with his boss because we're part of a larger publishing company. Yeah. You know, from there, it was it was off to the races. And the interesting turn of events is that I started in March 2020. So if you do the math, that was right before the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of my onboarding as editor was virtual because it was just like, okay, we can't all be in the same room. And you know, eventually came back and figured out safe ways to do that. But it was an unusual time, but it was honestly really nice to have that distraction because it was as uncertain as the wrestling world was at that point. It was something I could really throw myself into. I think it'll be interesting looking back and seeing the pandemic era and what it meant to wrestling. There's so many amazing matches that happened during that time that I don't think are going to be recognized in the long term just because of the absence of fans and all of that sort of thing. So interesting time for you to sort of take on the, the job that you have. Yeah, agreed. I want to thank you both. <laughs> thank Kevin and Al from Pro Wrestling Illustrated for being here today. This is an absolutely incredible conversation just to kind of see like the background of how all this happens and being able to talk about ourselves as highly as I can. Hey, <laughs> 
Yeah, the new issue of PWI featuring the 2021 PWI Awards is available for digital purchase at pwi-online.com, or you can pick up the print version in stores next Tuesday, January 25th. We get that right? Yeah. Stu would uh, uh, scold me for saying dash instead of hyphen. (laughs) (laughs) I said dash for years also, and then I was corrected by Stu that that is not a dash. It is a hyphen. (laughs) It's like all the kids that say hashtag, and I'm like, that's a pound sign, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's a (laughs) tic-tac-toe. Uh, guys, thank you for your time. Appreciate uh, being able to talk to you and uh, appreciate your work in the wrestling business. You can listen and follow this podcast. That's AEW Unrestricted for free or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget the YouTube version comes out. Just search AEW Unrestricted on Mondays to check that out. And you can check out AEW Dynamite on our new home on TBS every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Uh, we've got Rampage still on TNT, just holding it down on multiple networks. TNT every Friday at 10 p.m. And of course, we've got Dark Elevation Mondays and Dark Tuesdays on YouTube. I'm Audrey Edwards, along with my co-host, Tony Schiavone. Yep. Thank you for listening. Come on, throw your hands up, let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up. Pumping, make them bounce now. Blossing like they bossing.